Have you ever longed to escape reality or fantasized about stepping into someone else's shoes, even for just a little while? Hi, I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Hawley. We host CBC's Play Me, the immersive podcast that transforms theater into addictive audio fiction. Join us for a new season and disappear into a world rich with drama, where every show delivers hypnotizing stories and unveils intriguing characters with secrets. Play me wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Avaya Mighty, one of the best rappers in this country right now, will be here for a conversation about her new album, which is about a breakup she went through, and every song is about a different emotion she felt along the way. So stick around for that. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I'm Ara Madison III. And I'm Louis Fertel. This year, we're excited to bring you new episodes of Keep It covering the holy trinity of award season, Emmys, Grammys, and the granddaddy of them all, the Oscars. It's like the Super Bowl for Hollywood, but with more sequins and fewer concussions. And we are continually blessed by iconic guests like Michelle Yeoh, Tori Kelly, Andy Cohen, and Jinx Masoon. New episodes of Keep It drop every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts, or subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. I think the first time I heard about Havaya Mighty, the, the Canadian rapper Havaya Mighty from Brampton, Ontario, she was making really politically charged music, you know, music about systemic injustice. She won the Polaris Prize for her record 13th Floor, which was all about the connection between slavery and the modern prison system. Then she made this record called a Stock Exchange, which was all about like the focus on numbers and therefore capitalism when it comes to art. But now, instead of looking outward, Havaya's made a new album, which is all about a relationship that she was in that led to a, a tumultuous breakup. So it's every kind of emotion in it. There's, there's sadness, there's joy, there's kind of, I don't know, sauciness? By the way, Havaya, if you're listening, and I know you are, I can hear you laughing at me describing your music with sauciness. Uh, Havaya's new album is called Crying Crystals. That's a song called Huh? Havaya sat down with cute guest host Talia Schlanger to talk all about it. Take a listen. I love that song. I do, too. <laughs> I was jamming here like, oh, this is great. Yeah, who who wrote that song? It's a, it's a good I listened to the record. Like, I listened to it a bunch before we're sitting down to talk, and I love it. But I listened to it for the first time when I was, like, out on a walk, and I had to bop into a grocery store to get something. And that was the song that came on just as I was checking myself out at the self-checkout. Uh, and I didn't even notice that I looked like such a crazy person just, like, dancing to myself. I had to play it again when I was outside. <laughs> that song will do that to you. Yeah. It must have been fun to fun to make. That song particularly was incredibly fun to make. Yeah. yeah. A lot yeah. of exploration and samples from years ago and like no boundaries in the early part of the curation of that song. And I think that just lended to it being so, I don't know, it feels vast. It does. Yeah. Um, so right after you released the record, you sent out this tweet and you said, I don't know if I'm happy it's out or if I'm angry for allowing myself to be this vulnerable one day at a time. Mm-hmm. We're a little over two weeks after the album came out. So how are you feeling now? Hmm. I think that's a feeling that I feel minutely here and there. I definitely felt it right after releasing the album. Just 
being nervous about what people will really think when they hear what my thoughts were. Um, because I think a lot of my previous works were very observational in nature and my perception of my outer reality, which is also everyone's reality, right? It's like what we're observing and what is external to us. Hmm. This project is much more internal and my perception of like my world and it becomes much more, I guess, nerve wracking what people's opinions would be on those thoughts of mine because they're so personal as opposed to like this outer, I don't know, viewpoint. And it feels like it's like the layer beneath your skin that people are able to see. Uh, So yeah, like it's nerve wracking at times feeling like, was it the best decision to go this vulnerable? Will people understand this side of me, especially being an artist who's put multiple bodies of work out that have been different? Mm -hmm. My approach has been different. So, you know, but I think one thing that's been true with all of my projects that I've put out is that they did feel like internally like necessary. And so this project, Crying Crystals, did feel very necessary to put this internal experience out uh, and it felt therapeutic and healing. Mm. But of course, there's those doubts at times. Yeah. Well, we kind of get to hear that from start to finish on the album. Like it feels like we we start in one place and we end in another place and we yes. go through a whole lot of emotions of grieving something, looking back on something, all yeah. of this in between. I want to play um, one of the earlier songs from, from the record. This is Boundaries. Yeah, you say I'm guilty, I'm abusive, I'm your nightmare. Breathing for some time, I probably died there. Back to life, but still a zombie, feeling nightmares. I still think about the trauma in your eyes. I never put my hands on it's emotional. <laughs> it's weird listening to it in the setting. What are you thinking about? Uh, I don't know the emotion of the song. Yeah, yeah. It's really emotional what you're saying because it's like such a self. It's a self examination that you're letting us in on. on yeah. that song. Yeah, I think that part of the project was like, yeah, like feeling guilty of the things that were sad. I guess about the position I held in somebody else's perception, and then also feeling like the conflicting feelings of feeling like they're right and then feeling like they're wrong, mm. and. Not knowing what the right answer is, not yeah. knowing what the right moves were in the past, what the right move is now, being very much in a confusion state and just like like a stuck state. Yeah. yeah. And it's all about the end, like the end of a relationship and looking back on it. I'm interested in the writing process, like when I hear the cadence of your words and the internal rhymes and, and all of mm-hmm. that, like there's so much detail in it. And when you couple that with the emotion, it really like, I don't know, it really does something. What's your writing process like in figuring out how to tell tell that tell that story with that rhythm yeah I think the rhythm part it honestly comes supernatural because mm-hmm. I like started rapping when I was 12 and I feel like my early origin exposure to rap was like battle rap era so having those different cadences and having different flows kind of morph in and out was I think my original style and I think I've maintained that through my process of writing mm-hmm. but I think what maybe hits different is that you get that feeling still of like different cadences and different flows, but now it's like this personal story. And I think that pulls you into almost different worlds. It's like you get my R&B influence, but then you also get my like battle rap 2000s era influence and it kind of is morphed together. If, to me, it feels a bit unique, you know? It is. It's interesting to think about it in the context of battle rap because correct me if I'm wrong, like battle rap goes outwards. Like you're you're proving 
yourself yes. to someone else. Always. And right? <laughs> and and you're in, like you're almost interrogating someone else. And on this song in particular that we're talking about, you're like battle rapping yourself almost. Like yeah. you're inter- Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. That's really that's a really cool way to look at it because it is flipping the general perspective, but then you're maintaining kind of like the flow uh and the wordplay, the metaphors, the movement of like the bars. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also like a hardcoreness or a toughness to being able to be that vulnerable with yourself and to do the kind of introspection that you're doing on this song. Yeah, that is true. And I also feel like that is probably a major part of my healing and what has allowed me to get past uh, what I went through is that I could see that no matter what happened, I had an ability to look at the situation in the most optimistic way of what have I learned? What can I do? And at the beginning of that experience, I didn't think I would ever really overcome it. So Mm -hmm. I feel like literally the process of overcoming it was like, oh, like you can, that fueled me to keep going. You know what I mean? Like a reminder of you, you got this. Like, look how far you've come. At what point does everything that you're talking about become something that you can write about? Like the, the healing, the going through it, reflecting, at what point are you like, okay, this is, this is going to be songs? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. I feel like. I don't get to say when, mm. to be honest. It like, it's very circumstantial. It could be that I get a production that I absolutely need to deal with <laughs> and certain lyrics come out or like it could be that the experience, like maybe I went through experience and I'm just like the only way to like get to the next day is to like write it down in some way. It kind of happens on its own, but I have a studio in my house and I think that I've created a space where creation is not, it doesn't revolve around like the schedule. Like my life is very schedule based interviews and shows and whatnot. But because I have the space in my house, it's like in my free time, if I have free time, it it could happen. And I have the access to kind of just document those visions and those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting having access to studio space, like access to the tools lets you be raw with what you're feeling in a way that you almost like you can't overthink it before you before you do it. What does that tell you about creativity in in general that you can, you know, take an idea and apply it in different ways? I think it tells us that there are, ironically, no boundaries when Mm -hmm. it comes to that. (laughs) I'm like, the song I wrote, yeah, I feel like it's so vast and like, there are so many different ways that I've created on this album. Like, huh? Technically took six months because, you know, we just took our time and had different sessions in different spaces. Um, main character came together like by like swapping out beats boundaries came together sort of similar but like I wasn't involved in the process of that particular beat being made and I like went to a session and then came back to that session and then the beat was done Mm. then like there's just so many different ways to create I think not restricting yourself to a specific way of doing things or a specific environment in which you do those things I think allows you to approach things very differently like this album is my favorite album of mine it's very difficult to choose a favorite i feel like there's so many singles i could continue to drop and i do feel like it's because i let go of a lot of the boundaries i had i stopped trying to approach lyrics like i'm trying to prove myself i really focused on just saying what i was feeling and it just coming out in a natural way um i feel like i explored genre changes not to follow trends but like genuinely because i'm like i rock with this sound Mm. and i feel like Despite doing that, it feels like a cohesive record. I'm just, I'm, I'm a fan of the body of work. Good. <laughs> yeah. That's a great thing to feel as an artist, I would think. 
Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I don't think it's like some people really don't feel that way. So that's that's a good thing. Sure. I want to play another song that I really dig from from the record. Here we go. Yeah, you know you're too perfect. Come close, yeah, you make me too nervous. D and D, we don't need no service. Make you scream, you become a new person. Yeah. For you, I don't need permit. Turn it up, speed it up, and rehearse it. When you come, you gon' see your true purpose. That's a bit of room service by Havaya Mighty. You have a big smile on your face. <laughs> this yeah. is a sexy song. It is. It is. And this was, again, like another weird... Okay, so I was going to shoot a video for my song Honey Bun, which was the first song that we released off of the project. We still hadn't had so many songs done. And when I talked to the direction team, uh, Chris Lowe and Kit about doing the video for Honey Bun, they were like, you know what would be cool is if like halfway through we like did a wheel, a wheel back and we went into this dance hall kind of like Afro vibes. That was like the conversation we had on the call. Uh-huh. And then I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, And then I went on Instagram and I was like, yo, send me Afro beats or send me like an open call. And this random dude sent me this random beat and I wrote that song. But I kind of did it as a test to myself. I didn't really feel like it was going to turn into the discussion we had on that call. Yeah. And it's all because someone gave me like an idea. They planted a seed and they're like, what if it did this? Yeah. And I was like, oh, like what would happen in the visual? You'd see this, the dancing, the sexiness, the vibes, the bashment energy. And I was able to see all of that. And I feel like that's why I was able to write the song in the way that I wrote it. Yeah. yeah. But very characteristic of you. It's also very deep. Like it's, it's, it's not a shallow song, and when you when you put out the music video for it, you tweeted a, about the divide between the black and queer community. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also wrote that the cultural significance of room service is you don't have to pick a side. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I've, of course. I feel like, yeah, I'm Bayesian Jamaican um, background, and I'm also queer, and those two categories uh, are like oil and water in ways. I feel like the communities don't understand each other, but I do represent both. And so I was very particular about wanting to have the representation, the Caribbean representation, because it's in the music, it's in the culture, it's in my lineage. But I was also like, this is a song about me loving someone and and wanting this woman back in my life, which is a very queer narrative, very queer theme. And I was like, these two things must coexist like because that's what that's what the song is yeah and so you know i have my sister in the music video with the you know the patois energy and i have you know i have queer representation in the video i have you know me being represented in the in the video but then also caribbean representation in the video and i and i feel like they are coexisting in this really healthy way and in this safe way and while that's obviously not always possible in the real world, mm-hmm. ensuring space is safe is of the utmost importance. I ensured that was a safe space yeah. and that the visual captured that safe space. What we what we wanted to do was showcase that and for people to feel comfortable within that. Um, and to be honest, like even having the release party for Crying Crystals um, and, you know, we were at this bar called Cold Tea on the weekend for the Caravan of Vibes I was hosting there. It was a party called Gyaldem. They almost mirrored the music video hmm. uh, of, of a space that felt very safe, Caribbean and queer. And that's something that I think is very important to, to obviously showcase because it's, it's literally me. Um, and while I feel like this, it's this regular thing, a lot of my friends might understand it. I feel like a lot of people don't understand it. And that representation is new for a lot of people. And so 
making it visible and, you know, not being scared of whatever the backlash associated with it is, uh, was very important for me. Were you nervous about that? Yes. Uh-huh. Very. Nervous with, yes, just yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Like, just thinking about just anything, like, what will this friend's parents think of me? Exactly. I'm right? thinking about like, the generation the generations. above. Yeah. Because it's, there's the representation of sexuality. There's yeah. that alone. And then it being queer based and then there's just so many ways to look at it that you know you know that some people just won't get yeah and my hope is always that if there is a part that you don't understand there's another part that will gratify you yeah I feel like there's a lot of people that probably are not 100% in alignment with the theme but are like I love the song and my hope is obviously that that is planting seeds too Mm -hmm. so that for them it starts to remove that divide that maybe they inherently feel because that's just how they were raised, especially with different generations. Um, it takes time to process new ideas. And so I, I realize that in many ways, my music, my representation is a new idea for a lot of people. Mm. So, you know, either they'll get with it over time or they won't. But I think by existing, it's making space for, you know, other people like me. I love <laughs> the way that you said that. Yeah. And it's true, right? Like we... Think thinking is changing so quickly and sometimes it takes a minute for people to catch up or to say, oh, wow, I know and love that person. I didn't realize that that was part of who they are. Yes. Oh, maybe I need to think about this. A bit yes, differently. yes. Like things don't happen overnight. And like, I think that the beauty of communities coming together is making space for each other. And so it's, you know, you know, one group understanding the other and the other group also understanding the other. And I think that camaraderie needs to be there. Um, and so, yeah, I try, I try to represent that because I do actually, I do understand both sides. I am Jamaican Canadian, Bayesian, and I am queer and they do coexist. They live, all of that lives within, within me. So crying crystals is a, is a way to showcase that. Before we say bye, what's next for you? Touring. Uh, so I hope to be touring in October, November. Some dates will be coming out soon. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Eyes and ears. Uh, we're always working. <laughs> I love talking to you. Thank you. Love talking to you as well. Talia Schlanger's conversation with the great Havaya Mighty, her new album, Crime Crystals, is out everywhere now. That is it for this episode of Q. Thanks to Talia for doing that interview while I was away. I'm a little jealous. I love getting the chance to talk to Havaya. Uh, the other episode we have up today, I love people like this because I loved Canadian hip-hop growing up. I watched like Rap City and, you know, I, I, I caught up with Canadian hip-hop on much music and all that. There wouldn't be a Canadian hip-hop if it wasn't for Ron Nelson. I didn't know anything about this guy growing up, but he is arguably like – the most important unknown person in the history of Canadian hip-hop. If it wasn't for him, I don't know if we'd have Canadian hip-hop, or at least not in the way it turned out. So Ron Nelson, pioneering a DJ and promoter of the early days of Canadian hip-hop, had a conversation about his incredible career, the systemic challenges he faced along the way, and why at 60 he decided to put out his first rap album. So go check that out wherever you get your uh, podcast, wherever you got this podcast, really. All right, we'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.